the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It is 1228 a.m. here on the East Coast. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. We got uh, eight ranked teams have lost. We've got uh, an 0-2 Oklahoma in Big 12 play. We've got just uh, a lot of carnage to pick up. And it's awesome because that is what we expect out of our October. You know, our September is going to give us some misleading non-conference results in the uh, the first two weeks. And then we're going to have those... You know, the the games against the Citadel, and you're going to have those games against, uh, you know, Missouri State. Like, those come around September 17th or September 24th, but when you get into October, you get stuck in conference play, and you, you start to get some interesting results. So, Barton, Tom, gentlemen, as we sit here for this Week 5 Reaction Pod, a lot to break down right now. Uh, where where do we want to start? The evening was packed. Our, our dogs came up with a dominant performance that I think we can all be very proud of. There, there are dogs again, because I'm I really a, felt like last week they were my dogs and nobody else's. I'm, I'm a very bad dog. I'm a very bad dog. I, I jumped off the dog train last week. I'm back on. I'm back on. But I did say I felt like that they could be as good as, as ever. I was just the main thing I was disappointed in last week was that they were not going to have the the you know, the different explosive new age offense that maybe we thought they might be able to, to dream up, but um, it's, it's just the same old dogs. It really was. I mean, that was one, the one thing I would say from that game that was maybe not, you know, like obviously they won 27 to six. The defense was awesome. It was great. You know, it was a huge bounce back, even though, you know, they won by 27 last week, but I will say that the offense did not seem to be, the you know new age Georgia offense we're going to be throwing the ball down the field moving vertically it seemed very much like the Georgia offense that we've seen the last few years up and even including in the second half where you know they, they went to the boa constrictor playbook and just slowly squeezed the life out of Auburn but at the same time I mean Auburn never really posed any kind of threat to score points in this game. So if you're Georgia and you're in control, you might be thinking, eh, why show anybody anything? Let's just run the ball all over them all night and just not let them score and we'll be fine. Do you really think that there's any plays that are being held back in the playbook, though? Like, don't you think that cut has been made before the game starts? I I do, because that first time they got the first and goal, like this is Georgia and they've been running the ball the entire drive and they get down there, they get a first and goal and they start throwing. Throwing. And I feel like that is not something that they would have done. Now, obviously, it didn't work. They had to settle for the field goal. And then after that, they kind of went old school. So I do think that they had the plan of, you know, 
we're gonna we're gonna run the offense. Stetson Bennett was apparently told that he was gonna be starting on Monday, so he was practicing with the first team all week long. He was ready. I think that they were planning on coming out. It's just they realized pretty quickly that they weren't gonna have to. So much love to our dogs. I mean, do do we want to start there or can we get to Oklahoma, right? Let's go to Oklahoma. Do you have anything There's else, Barton? No, I mean, look, the, the, there's a lot to get to. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. our, our dogs just, they just check, they, they, check some boxes. They, they suffocated. <laughs> yeah. They suffocated Auburn. We could certainly dig into all the, 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 the issues and flaws with Auburn, but bottom line is 3.4 yards per play, 216 yards of total offense, 39 yards net rushing for Auburn. Um, George's listen, they forget last week. This is this is the team we thought we were going to get this year, and uh, Stetson Bennett the fourth is is he is Jake Fromm all <laughs> over again, and, and I just you know I I just wonder if J, J T Daniels is worried he's going to get Jacob Eason on this deal, and Stetson Bennett's just sitting there just you know five yards a five yards an attempt, just kind of <laughs> you know plodding on down the field. So it's uh. He's good. JT Daniels has a couple years of eligibility left. If we need uh pledge class president Stetson Bennett, the fourth to <laughs> hold on to things, we can, we can do that. So, uh, all right. Oklahoma is Owen two in big 12 play. Oklahoma yeah. is uh, a team that I don't have because of what's happened in the big 12. And, and we will get like, Texas lost to TCU. Uh, Barton's beloved pokes are the only team that appears to be good in that conference. Like mm. as we look across uh, the Big Twelve right now, Oklahoma is zero and two in Big Twelve play, and yet I still think that. Ask me right now. I think Oklahoma still makes the Big Twelve championship game. So how really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I I think this was a bad spot. I think this was a bad matchup, a bad spot, a little bit of a letdown after the Kansas State uh, loss. And I mean, didn't didn't you discuss this, Barton, about sort of the the mental uh, fragility, the the Oklahoma defense that might just be a little bit shook right now, that might be reverting back into its old ways? Because there were moments early in that game where it looked like that defense was was kind of bringing the heat. A little bit, and it was a little bit of a field goal fest, as you mentioned on the group text. But I, I kind of thought that winning a low-scoring game would be something that would be good for Oklahoma. But to to lose it the way they did with a couple of explosive plays, Hutchinson got loose, Brees Hall got loose. Uh, I, I, I still think they're one of the two best teams in the Big Twelve. But I think in the big picture of Oklahoma in terms of the expectations we've had under Lincoln Riley, which is contending for college football playoff spots, no, I, I'm not ready to count them out. Are y'all? I mean, of course not. I'm not ready to count them out. And the, certainly they could be one of the top two teams in the Big 12. But I, I would not say with any level of confidence that like, I think they might be in the big 12 championship game, but I do. I actually do believe Oklahoma state will be one of the teams in the big 12 championship game. Um, And I think it's a, and, and that is, is purely hypothesis at this point, like who the hell knows, but, um, but I think that, and, and let's just, let's just grant me that and just assume maybe I'm right there. It's just a total, 
like toss him in a hat and see who pops out. I mean, I think I think TCU as as flawed as as Texas is, TCU is, is I think is going to keep getting better. I think Iowa State is you know toss out the Louisiana game. They're a good team. Like that's not a bad loss. Um, and then you know you have all these other teams that can beat you other than Kansas. So I, I guess they already have two losses. And so I, I, by nature of them already having two losses, I'm not going to just assume, oh, it's Oklahoma, though. And Oklahoma's going to get it figured out. Like this has always, in my opinion, been the year where we don't just make assumptions about this Oklahoma team because they've got a first-year starting quarterback. They've got their three of their top rushers from last year opting out. They've got um, – you know, the, the, the new faces in the skill positions, the office, like all the things that we've talked about before. And now the defense and granted, they'll get Ronnie Perkins back soon. It sounds like, but now the defense is, is, is regressing, recoiling into this like Oklahoma shell, like this Oklahoma state of mind where it's like, hey, yeah, like, okay, they'll, you know, let, let's get into one of these shootouts because we're, we're not supposed to stop anybody. We don't have to tackle anyone. Let's just let's just punch at the football a bunch of times and see if we can cause some fumbles. Yeah, it's I, you can't rule Oklahoma out of the Big Twelve title game simply because I don't think it's going to be that hard to qualify for the Big Twelve title game, right? This year because you could probably lose three or four games at this rate and still get there. But I, I do think that this team has some serious problems. And like the defense obviously is one of them. Iowa State averaged 7.4 yards per play on them tonight. But it's also like you mentioned, Barton, they're missing a lot of guys in that run game and they can't run the ball. Like they couldn't run the ball against Kansas State last week. They couldn't run the ball tonight against Iowa State. We think back to the LSU game in the playoff last year. They could not run the ball in that game. That, you know, Spencer Rattler is not Jalen Hurts. He's not Kyler Murray and he's not Baker Mayfield yet. But for a first-year starter in his third game, he's not playing that poorly. He's kind of playing better than a lot of first-year starters are in that same situation. The problem is they're not doing anything else on offense to help them out. They're not, if they can't run the ball, it's got to be all on Spencer Rattler. That's a horrible position to be putting a young quarterback in, but that's the position he finds himself in where it seems like he feels like he's got to do everything and it was all you know symptomatic in that last interception of the game where he's chucking the ball into double coverage when they just need a first down he's going for like the touchdown thinking we got a score here and it killed him what do you think lincoln riley is telling this team right now because his post-game press conference was very much like uh you know we are not at a championship level you know he was he was doing the call your team out you know i've i've been coaching these championship level teams and we're making some mistakes that aren't quite up to par right now. And, and that might be Lincoln Riley trying to communicate to his team through the press. But what do you think the message is internally? What do you think the vibe is like internally as they're trying to uh, look at what's ahead? Because hello, Oklahoma, Texas is next week. Yeah. I don't think Lincoln's coaching at a championship level. I think I, I look back to that very first possession of the night they kicked a field goal from the one-yard line. There's only one time when kicking an 18-yard field goal should be the acceptable decision, and that's when you're down one or two points with one or two seconds left, and it's the final <laughs> play of the game you're trying to win. If you're freaking Oklahoma and you have the ball at the one-yard line, you're one of the best offenses in the country, and you have been for the last few years, what the hell are you doing kicking the field goal on the road? Go for it. Score the touchdown. If they score a touchdown there, Iowa State's sitting there thinking, 
oh, crap, they just marched right down the field on us and scored a touchdown right to start the game. Instead, Iowa State's thinking, hell yeah, we stopped him at the goal line and forced him to kick a field goal. They're scared. They need the points. You gave them confidence by doing that. And I mean, I think if, I can't, we can't say for sure that the game has a different outcome, but I think that that sets a tone early. And the fact that that was coaching scared, in my opinion, kind of set the tone for how the rest of the game went. I love, I love that take. Uh, I love that take. I, I will also my, my other thing with with Oklahoma right now is so just look at their look at their box score. You got Spencer Rattler is their leading passer, right? Redshirt mm-hmm. freshman. Seth McGowan is their leading rusher, uh, true freshman. Austin Stogner, their leading receiver, true sophomore. Um I just I just think that this team it, and and maybe this is maybe this can maybe speak to the idea that they will get to the Big Twelve Championship game and that they will be um, by the end of the year a different team. But I I just and like when you think of the people that they lost from last year, the people that have been suspended, the you know Jalen Redman is opting out. Like Ronnie Perkins is just now going to start playing again. Like there, a lot of the guys that you think of as the leaders for Oklahoma in years prior aren't even on the field. And so I just think it's, they're, they're fine. They're, they're finding themselves like a lot of these teams and, and, and just like all these teams, the recurring theme is they couldn't find themselves in the spring. They got to find themselves right now. And some of these teams might have a little bit, might be a little more grounded in the early goings. And, and I just don't think Oklahoma is one of them. Shouldn't Texas have known what it is? I mean, they got new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, but that is an iconic Texas quarterback, and that is you know Samuel Cosme and a couple offensive linemen that are not new. That is a defense that returned a lot of players from a group that we all said was banged up and was looking to redeem itself uh, under Chris Ash. Like that game against TCU played out in a vacuum to where. Yeah, like, oh, of course TCU's going to beat Texas, right? Like, if I tell you before the season, even if we're in a normal season, you're like, all right, so Texas is going to have a top 10 team, but when they play TCU, they're going to get lured into this penalty fest, and everybody's going to start making mistakes, and the mistakes are going to be almost infectious, and then Max Duggan is going to ball. He is going to overcome uh, a three-name heart syndrome that has to do with the electricity that comes from your heart and he's going to identify it. He's going to come back into this and he's going to have rushing touchdowns. He's going to play out of his mind and TCU is going to win. And I'm going to be like, yeah, well, you know that they've won five out of six, six out of eight. We said it all week on CBS sports HQ. What's, What's the big picture look like for Texas here? Looks like Texas. Honestly, I mean, it looks like cold. it, it does. I mean, this what were, were you shocked at all by this, Barton? Were you surprised at all? Oh, I was shocked. I would have picked TCU for the uh, for my money line pick if the line wasn't so big. Yeah, and the line was huge. I was like, what am I missing here? Like, why? <laughs> you were waiting world? for some COVID results like, to come double out of somewhere. Double digit favorites here <laughs> didn't make any sense. And you know, Chip, you too. You mentioned it like the penalties in this game. What what's gotten into Big Twelve refs? Because there were twenty six penalties in this game. The Iowa State Oklahoma game had eighteen penalties. The Baylor West Virginia game had twenty four penalties. Are Big Twelve refs getting paid by the flag because they are just chucking them like crazy this year? 
uh, or is it the Big Twelve? <laughs> because uh, maybe don't blame the refs for this nonsense. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> Those like, poor guys are just there trying to do a job. Like Baylor, West Virginia was pretty gross, you know. Like Texas Tech, Kansas State was okay. The the not all of the penalties that I saw in Texas TCU. Like I can't say that I jumped off some. off my couch and was like. You know, was it the the Leo once upon a time in Hollywood meme where I'm just like yeah. calling it out? Like I, I I wasn't quite on that level with all of them, but yeah, there were some dumb penalties all throughout that game. Yeah, that was just a cluster something of a football game. It was it was fun, but like it was fun in that watching a peewee hockey game at intermission of, a, of an NHL game kind of way where everybody was just kind of falling down and you were laughing and thinking how cute everybody was. But no, it's, I mean. The mascots are playing basketball at like the intermission at the conference tournament and Notre Dame is crushing it because it's the only human mascot. <laughs> like the, the craziest part of that game is like, if you look at Sam Ellinger's stat line, like he only completed 17 of his 36 passes but it didn't seem like he played all that poorly during the game. It's like I, I saw the stat line after. I was like, no, there's no way he only complete. He didn't even fit, complete half his passes because he had the four touchdowns. He only had the one interception, but he only had 236 yards. I swear Texas receivers must have dropped eight or nine passes because I can't get in my head how he had so many incompletions that I don't remember seeing. Well, because he, you're right. He didn't play that bad. I don't think either, but he but he had, he threw to a lot of covered receivers. Like they, there was not a lot of separation unless there was, and then they were running wide open, like mm-hmm. with no one anywhere close to them. And so that was sort of TCU's plan. It seemed like just, we're going to cover them, like blanket them, or we're just going to let them run. But I think the, like TCU, like Sam Ellinger is still an iconic Texas quarterback. Obviously. Obvi- obviously. And Sam Ellinger may have, like he gets another year if he wants it, so he we could have another year. Set week twenty twenty two, what was it? No twenty twenty one. He didn't. He didn't sound like somebody after the game today who's interested in coming back for another year. Oh, with that Texas deserves better. The university uh-huh. deserves better. He, he was. I mean, obviously, who wouldn't be in a mood? But he was in a mood after the game today. He was like, he, he was in a very much in a Samuel L. Jackson. I'm tired of this. You know what kind of mood with the game? But. We will have whether Sam Ellinger decides to come back again or not. We will have iconic Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger for at least a couple more years because the spirit, the essence of iconic Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger has been breathed into Max Duggan. <laughs> Max Duggan is now what Sam Ellinger used to be. Like he's the new one. <laughs> like like Max Duggan is the dude. Yeah. Right, like that's like, and, and he he's he's athletic. He is he is tough. He is from Iowa and he played four sports. Like, well, how can an iconic Texas quarterback be from Iowa, though? It's a great, <laughs> that's a good question. But he's, you know, like he's he is he's like the uh, he's what Texas quarterbacks think of themselves as. He mm-hmm. just happens to be from Iowa. And so. <laughs> Sorry you didn't go to Westlake High School, but Max Duggan is he's got he he's got it in him right now. So I think TCU is a team to watch because I think TCU has got weapons for Max Duggan to throw to. I think they got an offense that really works. And you know, it's interesting, like 
chip because you're right because Texas doesn't really have any excuse for this. No, Texas. Yeah, they, okay, sure, they have a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. But the reason that they have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator is because they fired their last offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Like, those guys didn't leave Texas hanging. Like, Texas made a decision to move on. Um, and, and, and both of those guys, like, were not, like, like, like idiots. Like, they weren't terrible at their job. Texas decided to move on, and it's, it's kind of slop right now. It's just, it's just sloppy. It's it's not disciplined. It's, like, it doesn't look like winning football, and it's not like a, it, I would be very discouraged right now as a Texas fan because we're Texas and we're the forty acres and all this stuff or whatever. Like that's hard to that, that's just hard to see. They like. Do you remember how the end zone to our right was just like a construction zone? Yeah. When we were there last year for the LSU game. Yeah. I feel like I saw it and it was still just a construction zone. Like I'm just, I was watching the end of that game again, cause let's reiterate TCU beat Texas in Austin in the building that they're pouring millions of dollars into to bring it up to be in this state of the art thing. Like what if you were somebody who cut one of those big checks, like with a capital B big checks, <laughs> And you're watching this total slop. Like I picked Texas based on that personnel perspective. Like Oklahoma's going to have a whole bunch of turnover. Texas has most of the key pieces back. Let, let's go. Like this, this can be the year that you go get it. And it's not the case at all. Unbelievable. Uh, all right. Any, anything else? Oklahoma, Texas, I guess even like Oklahoma, Texas, tangentially big 12 stand out. I mean, Oklahoma State, Barton's beloved Cowboys are definitely – you mentioned it. They're in the driver's seat now, Barton. They pasted Kansas, so there's no stopping them now. Win-win this weekend for Oklahoma State. Double whammy because Mm -hmm. not only did Oklahoma State blow out Kansas, no biggie, but did what they're supposed to do, but also that week one Tulsa kind of muck fest. Looks better. Looks okay right now. Tulsa takes down UCF. The Knights fall for the second year in a row. Philip Montgomery, hot seat. Like UCF has been getting Philip Montgomery extra years on his contract. It's their fourth straight win against UCF. Like they beat they beat him in 2016. They were the last team to beat UCF in Orlando. So like UCF's home winning streak started the week after losing at Tulsa to home and then ended today, but they also beat him in 2015. So they've now beat him in 2015, 2016, 2019, and 2024 in a row. Incredible. Um, Speaking of winning streaks and losing streaks. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) The SEC losing streak. But the Arkansas Razorbacks has been snapped. Arkansas 21, Mississippi State 14. I did not get uh, a ton of eyes on this. I was live blogging the Clemson game, working on the top 25 recap, dialed into Oklahoma, Iowa State, and of course our beloved Dogs. And so just sort of like throughout the day, I, I kind of I, I lost track of this one. Did y'all get many eyes on uh, on the Hogs being able to get up twenty one, being able to just take care of business against the Bulldogs? I had it on an extra screen. It wasn't 
it wasn't really a game that stood out a lot while I was, I mean, I would get eyes on it once in a while. I didn't pay super close attention to it, but I would, I would look over and be like, huh? Ah, Mike Leach is Mike Leach ended up big win last week, kind of looking sluggish this week, hanging with a team that it should be beaten. But I mean, looking at the box score, Felipe Franks outplayed KJ Costello. So, I mean, Franks completed 20 to 28 passes, only had the 212 yards, but he had two touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over, which is always the big problem with Felipe Franks. Meanwhile, KJ Costello threw three interceptions. He, you know, he dropped back to throw 59 times as he's going to do for 313 yards with one touchdown and the three interceptions. Mississippi State didn't really have a run game. Arkansas couldn't run the ball either. They averaged 1.7 yards per carry. It was not a pretty game. Arkansas finished with 275 yards of offense. It's just their defense did a very good job of forcing turnovers and just limiting what Mississippi State did. In other words, they played a style of defense that was designed to take away the vertical routes and the big plays for Mississippi State's air raid attack. Zone. Who would have thought it? And forced them to just dink and duck their way down the field and see if they could do it without screwing up. And three times, they screwed up. Yeah, I, I, I watched a decent amount of this, particularly in the second half. And, yeah, I mean, the key to – you just can't be um, – you have to to limit your hubris when you're playing Mike Leach. Like, you can't tough guy, oh, like, we're – this is what we do. We're just going to – like, we're just going to man you up on the outside. This is what we do. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't do that against them. And, and this, is what, this is what I like about Sam Pittman. And this is what I like about this hire, and this is what I like about – the idea of Sam Pittman as a, as a coach there is that, look, he is an offensive line coach who is not married to some system in his head. He's not married to some offensive scheme, defensive scheme. Like he is, he's the figure out how to win coach. He's not, he's not going to come in there and like be like, all right, I got to get my yard count up because everyone knows I'm this offense guru. He's the figure out how to win coach and he's figured out how to recruit coach and all this stuff. And he figured out how to win. He was smart enough to tell Barry Odom, or Barry Odom was smart enough to tell him, we ain't doing what LSU did. Like, we're going to do the thing you got to do to beat them. And the thing you got to do to beat them is literally turn them into like a, a, a service academy team. Like, Bumper Pool had, I think, like 20 tackles. Literally, he had like 21 tackles. Which, again, like, I, I, I feel like, like we need to, you need to say that sentence again. <laughs> bumper pool bumper pool which bumper pool, cover three which cover three podcast listeners which is yeah. not a nickname nope. his name was bumper pool is bumper pool and he did have about 20 tackles yes somewhere thereabouts because yeah, 20, they yep. yeah, 20 okay so <laughs> they you know they, they 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 make they made mississippi state throw underneath routes all game long um they picked kj costello off a few times one they took back for a touchdown and Felipe Franks, like, don't you dare judge, don't you dare judge Felipe Franks by what he did against Georgia. Felipe Franks, Georgia's gonna make everybody look like that. So Felipe Franks, you got your first game of the year that we're gonna actually give you a fair grade on. And you passed. And Arkansas won. And Felipe Franks is a competent quarterback, which is what we had hoped Arkansas would have this year. And this is this is this is a, a validating win for Sam Pittman. So this, yeah, that, this that is, was pretty cool. 
This is every this will tell you everything about Arkansas's defensive approach for this game, Bart. You mentioned Bumper Pool had 20 tackles, the Will linebacker. Mike linebacker Grant Morgan had 15 tackles. <laughs> Strong safety Jalen Catalan had 13 tackles. So between them, I mean some of them were probably together, but between them they had 48 total tackles, half a tackle for loss. Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna do? And and I was just going to say, on the other side of the ball, too, we think about, like, last week, Kylan Hill balling out against LSU and talking about how Kylan Hill is the perfect fit for this Mike Leach offense. Today, he had one carry for seven yards and no receptions. Left uh, it. He was hurt. He got hurt. He, he got, got hurt. hurt. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I assume Rakeem Boyd must have gotten hurt, too. I, I missed that. But Rakeem Boyd, like, late in the game, they were running Traylon Smith for Arkansas. So maybe, maybe it was, you know, tit for tat there because um, – Rick Rakeem Boyd's got to be better than Traylon Smith. So how do we balance Mississippi State loses to Arkansas with what I did see a little bit more of LSU? And I kind of thought Miles Brennan looked a little bit better. And I thought that John Emery seems to be a, a good centerpiece of that offense. And I know it was Vanderbilt. I know it was Vanderbilt, but like, that seemed as though there were some big steps forward, at least in terms of how comfortable the quarterback was and sort of where that offense was. So if Mississippi State loses to Arkansas and LSU looks good against Vandy and Mississippi State beat LSU at home, how, how do we balance all this right now? Well, I just want to know how Barton's guy, Ken Seals, looked. Hey, I mean, he... It's a it's a tough tough road to hoe for Ken Seals right now. Listen, the the reason that I've got an oat milk vodka swirling around in my mouth tonight is because your boy went like seven and one on locks, <laughs> <laughs> and yes. one of those locks was LSU laying the points at Vanderbilt because congrats on Vanderbilt's like gritty efforts against AM and their 55 offensive plays last week but that 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 wasn't gonna happen this week and it just like i i, I think you know it, it's this is this is one of those games where you can sort of take a moment take a step back and and sort of hindsight 2020 like kind of reassess week one and be like all right like eh, like this let's let's not go overboard here like because vanderbilt's still very deficient from a talent standpoint compared to the teams they're going to be playing. LSU is is still very talented, but LSU is still, for all, all the reasons that they struggled against Mississippi State, is still going to take some time to find themselves. This was a very positive step for LSU. And Miles Brennan, I mean, good on you, man. Like, congratulations. Like, that has to feel good all the weight on his shoulders, all the expectations coming off of Joe Burrow, struggling week one. He did have a good game against Vanderbilt. Uh, and yet that said, like, you better, because it, it's not like it's going to get, it's going to be hard from here on out. Yeah, I didn't see a ton of this game because it was pretty obvious early on that it was like, okay, this one's over. Vander, you know, Vandy's not really going to be able to fight its way in. So I, I, I kind of stopped watching at halftime. The one that I, the, the guy that I would, um, like one one of the standouts for LSU uh, was John Emery Jr. the the running back, um, the true sophomore, five former five star. Uh, Chris Curry was was out with some sort of injury or something, and and uh, 
John Emery got the bulk of the carries and got him going in the passing game too. Yeah. I mean, I think he only finished with maybe two or three receptions, but it felt like he was being targeted a couple more times as well. It's like, all right, okay, because uh, when Clyde Edwards Elayer suffers that injury in the practices leading up to the Peach Bowl, we're all wondering whether it's going to be, uh, you know, John Henry Jr. or Tyrion Davis Price. Like, who's going to start? Who's going to start? When Chris Curry started, it was a little bit of a surprise, and I thought it was a little bit of a a knock on John Emery Jr. And this year, you know, I think Chris Curry's the starter for week one against Mississippi State. But, you know, John Emery Jr. seems to be uh, finally starting to look the part. Seems like he's got his feet under him. All right. In the CBS game of the week, Alabama absolutely just dusts Texas A&M. I mean, they... Texas A&M did the exact same thing I told y'all all week Texas A&M is going to do. Is they're going to mess around in the second quarter. You know, they're, they're going to get in there. Maybe it was, I guess, the first quarter. But 14-14, everyone's saying, ooh, maybe this is going to be a game. And then they're just going to hit the Jets. 21 straight points. All of a sudden, it's 35-14 at half. Uh, like, I... I look at Alabama, and this is one thing that for tomorrow's top 25 today, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, the new AP poll may be out or not. I write a column that projects what the new one's going to be. I don't think Alabama overtakes Clemson for number one, but I'll be damned if Alabama doesn't have an argument. And I think that there's going to be some voters that maybe change that first place vote from Clemson to Alabama because there aren't a whole lot of weaknesses on this team right now. And playing against Texas A&M, a team that was ranked number 13 in the country, they did not seem to break a sweat uh, as they absolutely rolled over the Aggies in a similar way to basically most of the meetings that they've had since Johnny Manziel left. I'm telling you, man, Alabama doesn't look any damn different. Like, <laughs> two, two is gone. Henry Ruggs is gone. Jerry Judy's gone. A whole bunch of people are gone. They don't look any damn different. Mac Never do. Jones, yeah. The Mac assembly Jones, lines. Mac Jones, 20 to 27, 435 yards. Four touchdowns. Devonta Smith, six catches, 63 yards, and his touchdown, including right before halftime, just getting his toe down at the back of the end zone to pretty much stick the dagger right through Texas A&M's heart. Jalen Waddle, five catches, 142 yards at a touchdown. And you think those are Alabama's two receivers? No way. They've got a new one. His name's John Mechie. He caught five passes for 181 yards and two touchdowns, including a 78-yarder on like their third place scrimmage. We come into the season thinking, man, it's Jimbo's third year. We talked about the blue chip ratio. He's got the talent and they got more five stars and four stars and they do three stars. This is the year that they're going to take a step forward. Kellen Mond, three-year starter, coming back for his senior season. And they are still nowhere near Alabama's level. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the quarterback. I think Kellen Mond is a good quarterback and he would start for roughly 80% of the teams in the country and most teams would be happy to have him as a significant upgrade over what they have. But the truth of the matter is he is not a quarterback that you can contend for a national title with. He is not a quarterback. You can win a national title with. And until Jimbo gets one of those guys, Texas A&M can have, we can, we can hype it up all we want every single off season, but until he's got his Jameis Winston in college station, it's not going to matter. That, that, Yes, like Alabama was awesome, and Alabama is – I mean, that's that's it's not news because um, they're always awesome. Yeah. But the the my definite, like, 
sort of takeaway is this is what 75 million bought you like, th- <laughs> this An ass whooping yeah <laughs> i mean we're is this is this year three is this year yeah. three yeah. yeah so year three of the 75 million dollar man and it's and it's 50 something to 20 something it's like i don't know like I, I i feel like you need to i feel like like in nashville right now like in the the um the in real estate you know like the like the tall, skinny pop-up houses are like a million dollars in Nashville. Like this real estate's off the charts. And I feel like they like AM just got caught up. They went and bought like a tall and skinny like house, Jimbo Fisher, like vinyl siding, open floor plan. <laughs> right. You know? right. Like, oh, that's what you pay for this these days. That's what you pay. You gotta pay for this. That's what you gotta pay. <laughs> like, but they're on they're getting like a tall and skinny. Like they're not getting they're not getting tall and skinny is probably the wrong that's probably the wrong um metaphor because Jimbo's not like a new age like cookie cutter like he's an old school guy that like I'm not sure he still got got it and by got it like yeah he's going to be competitive A&M's still going to be good and but they paid 75 million to be Bama and there it was no indication whatsoever that they're anywhere close to beating Bama right like what another 75 million at it <laughs> what what that'll fix it When's the when's the next time you guess like when can they like I don't know like they're they're not gonna be better next year right no I mean I yeah I don't you would know do they have anybody in the pipeline behind Mond at quarterback that you think is the kind of guy that could be they the guy get, they, the the guy they played is a true freshman Haynes King um, who is athletic and who had an unbelievable junior season and didn't have as good of a senior year but he's a coach's son he's a Mm. super athletic multi-sports guy gym rat type coachable all that sort of stuff um and very talented so maybe he's the guy but it's interesting like if you look at like Jimbo Fisher was the quarterback whisperer right like he was he had that he was um easy Emmanuel Christian Ponder um Jameis Winston just like first rounder first rounder first rounder and then and 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 so then like you know, he has that label, but since Jameis Winston, if you look at the guys he's signed, there ain't, there ain't one of them that really has, has none of them got drafted and none of them really turned out. And, and Kellen Mond has, has not really improved. And now granted, this wasn't like Kellen Mond, this, this game wasn't on Kellen Mond. This, if anything, this game is on the, the players around him offensively and, and there really weren't enough playmakers on the outside to help him. And there were some there were some plays that like, you know, Aeneas William or Aeneas Smith who had some plays like he had a big drop on a, on a third or fourth down at one point. Like mm-hmm. that's and, and, what killed the game. And you got to get you have to to beat Bama. You have to get open or not. Not even no. I take it back. You have to win contested balls, and you have to make elite plays on the perimeter and no one was really doing that for him with the exception of a couple plays early in the game. Yeah. Cause Aeneas Smith finished with six catches for 123 yards, two touchdowns. He rushed for 29 yards. So when you look at that, it's like he had a great game, but it was ripe. It was late in the second quarter. It was like a third and four, a third and five. He was running like a little, you know, flare crossing kind of route and Mond hit him and it should have been the first down. He took his head, started looking up field before he pulled the ball in dropped it score you know they were down what 14 at the time looked like they could have been going in to cut it to a seven point lead at halftime have to punt 
Alabama marches right down the field, gets that touchdown right before halftime, and then it's 35 to 14 instead of, you know, 28 to 21. And that was just the end of the game. Is the dentist back in the trust tree? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. 42 41, Ole Miss gets an (laughs) overtime win against (laughs) Kentucky. I mean, that's that's the over smashing. Over smashed, I guess, even before overtime, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a while before overtime. Yeah, I, I think, and he, you know, the dentist, like he, the dentist, cont- contends that he was on the like that. He felt like that was the right pick last week. Too. On a right <laughs> side, a classic right side. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, but hey, how about the old Miss though? I mean, they're they're going to be fun. I mean, they already are fun. And I was I was joking on the. I think is is the twenty four seven Slack room. I, I made this comment, but it's like Ole Miss is going to be your favorite team to watch this year because they are cooking on offense, and whoever they're playing is going to be cooking on offense too. Like <laughs> you know, like there's just going to be there's just going to be a lot of big plays. Those teams are fun. Can we start calling Matt Corral the Great Malenko? Wait, why? What's the great Malenko? Because that was the name of that insane clown posse album. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, you've been on the ICP connection for. Uh... He's, he had that since we saw the hair last week. It's like he looks like he's, he looked like a juggalo. But no, he he played really well today. He was twenty four and twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. three hundred twenty yards, four touchdowns. I you know I was saying before the season started, I'm not sure that any of the quarterbacks on this roster are fit for what Lane Kiffin likes to do. Lane Kiffin, I don't really think Lane Kiffin is doing what he's typically always done before. I think he's kind of just playing to what his quarterbacks like to do, which is, you know, amazingly what a lot of good coaches tend to do. So Corral's playing great. He's a perfect fit for what they're doing. And it is just, you know, again, the defense is going to be the thing that keeps them from being anything to be taken seriously as far as a contender in the SEC. But I don't know that there's – I mean, maybe Alabama, maybe Georgia, but I don't know how many defenses are in the SEC. They're going to be able to keep this team from getting at least 35 points every single game. So you're going to have to outscore them. So yeah, – go ahead. No, I was just – like that was um, – I still think Kentucky's a good team, you know, and, and, and Ole Miss just went out there and beat them. And they fig- I mean, they figured out a way. And, like, Kentucky sort of gave it away at times. And so I actually still think from a gambling standpoint – they're, you're gonna because their Kentucky is now zero and two in the conference. You, value some value, value on, on Kentucky next week. Uh, they, had, yeah. they had three 100 yard rushers today. And did lost. they really? I didn't see that. Wow. <laughs> Chris Rodriguez had 133 yards. Terry Wilson had 129, and Asim Rose had 117. Yeah. So, is Texas A&M gonna finish like sixth in the West? No. Be- but, he, but how about this, though? Like, who the hell is going to beat Bama? Like, they, they got to play Georgia. But, like, they're like, how boring is the rest of the season for them? Like, AM was supposed to be one of their potential challengers. Auburn, Auburn just got housed by Georgia. Uh, LSU, whatever they become, it's not, it's not anywhere close to what they've been. You know, like, it's just, is this, is Georgia, is the Georgia game this week, next weekend? No. Uh, Alabama's got, Let's see. Um, got, Ole Miss. Next week. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're going to Oxford. Then we've got the Georgia game. Then we got Tennessee. And then we've got Mississippi State. 
and then a week off before LSU. So I mean, if honestly, if you're to like, if if you're to give me odds of a team beating Bama, I would say Georgia has the best odds, and yeah. I, I might give you Tennessee second. Hey, I took Tennessee to beat Alabama as my, you know, you did, but that was before the schedule got all jumbled around. So, but no, I'll stick with it too. Go Vols. Cade Mays showing up Tennessee having uh run, running that two headed monster of a run game. I mean, that is you know, we, I joked about the, the Mike Leach versus Jeremy Pruitt. Like Jeremy Pruitt was like, Oh no, I'll show you. I'll show you how we do it right here. Jared <laughs> <I mean, laughs> Guarantano, it doesn't matter anymore, man. You could you could put any of those quarterbacks right there. They are going to run the damn ball. And that is the Tennessee plan right now. And it's gonna work, right? I mean, you run for five yards of carry, you get first downs and touchdowns. I mean, they, they look good. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the country. They and I wrote about Tennessee today uh like there's a lot of oh game day barton i missed out right. on game That's day right. barton, yeah, man. Game day barton. <laughs> there's a lot of markers of a good team like they don't they had three penalties for 20 yards i think today they were five for five in the red zone they were like it's just a you we're suddenly at a point where this tennessee team is like a consistent trustworthy good football team. Now that doesn't mean they're going to beat Georgia. That doesn't mean they're going to beat Alabama, but it, but the fact that they, they beat South Carolina and that they rolled Missouri to me after winning six straight to end the season last year, to me tells, tells me that, all right, like this is a, this is an important tier that Tennessee has landed on uh, the tier of consistently good. And now we'll see if they can get to the tier of like, we're, we're really good. Coming up on the other side, more of our takeaways from week five across college football next. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right, uh, BYU thumping on Friday night. 
I saw uh, a funny uh, comment shared by Jason Kirk of formerly SB Nation. Now, I guess, uh, what's the the moon the moon crew the moon crew the moon crew shout out jason uh but it was it was the idea is like i continue to see these large point spreads and i continue to bet against byu and i'm ready to do it again <laughs> like <Yes. laughs> the cougars continue to just make work of everybody and like zach wilson looks awesome friday night was incredible like they just absolutely laid the hammer down on Louisiana Tech. And Kalani Sataki's out there. They've got all their orchestrated sideline dances going. They are just ruthless on the field. And it was a good week because with the Mountain West coming back, you saw BYU added San Diego State and Boise State to that late season schedule. And it is interesting because BYU as an independent is not eligible for the group of five spot in the New Year's Six. Now, BYU can still make the New Year Six as an at-large. So I'm not going to come here and I'm not going to present the BYU as a top four in the playoff argument, but I am going to present the idea that they deserve a spot in a premier bowl game if we make it to the end of the season and have premier bowl games because that team kicks ass at football. Yeah, but they could lose a game or two still too because it's just – I. I they're awesome, but I don't know how they're so awesome. It feels like nothing has gone wrong. You know what I mean? I don't feel like a single, like, like Jason said, they're going to be a huge favorite next week. And I am going to bet on the underdog to cover and I'll probably lose again. But it's just like Zach Wilson is like touched by Brigham Young, I guess, because he was 24 at 26, 325 yards, two touchdowns. I, it's you watch them play and it's like they're so much better than the teams they've been playing that you feel like it's a fluke and i don't i'm not saying it is a fluke i'm just saying when you watch it it's like you sit there and think there's no way they could be this much better than this team there's something going on here but i don't know they've cruised they have provided like very very zero uh just just easy uh, what was it? Mu is the physics like thing for friction. Like there's been no friction in the, the third and fourth quarter across the, the last two games it's, or the last three games. I mean, it's been bananas. Barton, you get your eyes on this? Read. What the hell are you talking about? The Mew? What have you been reading? <laughs> Force of friction? Did you? Did you... I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't taken physics since senior year of high school. <laughs> so they played. Uh, they played Troy, who they beat last week. Troy. Yeah, Troy. It was Navy, oh. Troy, Louisiana Tech. Oh, I'm sorry, Louisiana Tech was this week. So Louisiana Tech, Troy, Navy. So, and Navy just got housed by Air Force. Mm-hmm. Shout out, Moneyline <laughs> Sprinkle. Um, shout out to your fake news. My Air Force <laughs> source. We'll get into that. I don't know. So, before we get into that, um, so they've played, they've played nothing. Like they've played nothing and they have crushed it in a normal year with 130 teams playing right now and all the big 10 to look at and the PAC 12 to look at and BYU out here cruising, but playing nobody. They might be like, what do you think? Would they sneak into your top 25 at this point? Yeah. 
You it put because because we're already there. Where would no 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 no? I'm talking about in a normal year. Like if you had all the Uh-oh. Big Ten in there too, if you had the Big Pac-12 in there too, would you have them in your top 25? Yeah. You think right now? Yeah, 23rd or something. Yeah, I didn't think Louisiana Tech was a nobody. Like Louisiana Tech won 10 games last year. Louisiana Tech was two and zero. That's like, fair, I, but it's still a group of five team. No, I know, know, but I'm saying it's like that Navy game. I felt like we could write off simply because Navy hadn't practiced, they hadn't tackled, and once we found that out, it was like, right, okay, whatever. And then right. they beat Troy, and you're like, okay, whatever. But I went into Friday night thinking, all right, there's no reason in hell Louisiana Tech should be a 24 and a half point underdog against this BYU team. And they looked every bit the twenty-four and a half point underdog against BYU. So they, so they would be in a normal year. They probably would sneak in like twenty-third or something in your rankings yeah. this week, right? Yeah. So, my here's my point: is they're sitting there like nine in my rankings right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> and because we have no, we had no one else to watch, but BYU yeah. kicked the snot out of Navy. It's awesome. And then, like it is awesome to watch team. Right. Like that's the thing is like it, to me. When you just beat up on another football team and you are relentless with it, I I respect that dominance. And so, they're I don't know where they like where are they I don't even know where, where are they in the AP top twenty five. They were twenty two going into this week, and I've got them projected to land. I think at like sixteen or fifteen okay. after all, right. all the losses. Sixteen. So so they're sixteen or and they hadn't played anybody that's you know that's of note. Right. And Wisconsin's at 14 and they have played absolutely nobody. Not of note, absolutely nobody. Right. <laughs> so, but, but eventually all these other teams, these Pac 12 and Big Ten and Mount West, everyone else is going to come into the equation. And at that point, though, BYU, after having just, just like absolutely mop stuffed, like three, like a bunch of like nobody teams, they're going to be just chilling up there in the top 15. And so, whether they're whether they're the real deal or not, like they're well positioned, given the circumstances, for a pretty pretty lofty bowl game. That's why I think the the San Diego State and the Boise State games are important because they are in late November and December, and if they are undefeated at that time, you're going to have to play somebody other than like they also play Louisiana later in the year, and they also play Houston, and so you know. Who Houston hasn't even played yet. And, and I will also right, say, I forgot about that. Speaking of Houston, I will say that based on what I heard Friday night, you know, Andre Ware, the former Heisman winner in Houston quarterback, was calling the game. Pretty sure Zach Wilson's going to get a Heisman vote because Andre Ware was talking about him like he's the greatest quarterback that has ever played football. Andre Ware was also talking about uh, how BYU is getting all the pressure rushing three. Which is like, well, I mean, have you watched BYU play under Kalani Sataki? Like, that's how they tricked Keaton Slovis, right? Yeah. They just dropped eight and just like oh, throw a bunch of like 26-year-old arms around and all of a sudden you're going to throw three interceptions. Um, <laughs> Barton. Yes. Air Force's second string defense <laughs> did a fantastic job against Navy in a dominant Falcons win in it to set up a very enticing commander in chiefs trophy showdown, I guess in two weeks against army. Right. Is it, two, is it only two weeks? It's soon. It, Cause I mean, obviously we got to wait till the end of the season to get uh, army Navy, but, uh, but man, you were putting out alerts for that total. You, you had uh, your finger on the pulse there for, 
<laughs> so I gave out a brilliant pick for my money line sprinkle. Right. Like it just cruised. But between the me handing that out on the pod, on the locks pod, and me actually getting the bet in for myself, for my own family's nourishment and <laughs> sustenance, uh, I was I was given a little tip by a by a former Air Force player. I'm not gonna name his name. He's a listener to the pod, um, and he said, "Here's the tip, Barton. Don't play Air Force money line." I'm a former member of the team. Our quarterback is out more than likely with a probation. Our entire starting defense opted out. All starters on defense is our second team. And he gives a little insight on how he knows all this. Not even uh, – hopefully this finds you before you lay down the sprinkle. <laughs> and so it sounded pretty legit. And so I, I – instead of laying down my money line pick, I actually played Navy minus seven <laughs> for myself. And – uh, Air Force just absolutely cruises. Uh, but shout out to my guy. I appreciate the info. He, I do think this guy is legit. Like, I actually looked him up. Like, he's, he is, I, he has a profile. Like, he has a former player profile, but he led me astray here. And you, that's why you just, you just stick with your gut. You don't trust in the age of COVID, especially in a rivalry game, especially between service academies, you just trust your gut. I will say to to defend your anonymous source, so I'm just going to assume is Chuck Yeager. I Navy was without its starting quarterback in this game, so you had good info. Yeah, had good I'm info. Saying, so Navy lost its starter at quarterback, and I feel like that kind of really threw a wrench in their gears on offense because they weren't able to do anything. But yeah, it was a. Uh, all I know is that Chip, it was a very very sweaty fourth quarter for the both of us. If you, yeah, got, you guys had 47 and a half, yeah. Well, we got 47 and a half in our book, but in the locks pod, we it was at 46 and a half. So we lost the lock unity, but or the lock agreement, but we won our actual bets. Get wow. got to get the good number. I mean, Tom said on the cover three podcast on Monday, the numbers are out. Go and get it right now. You listen to every episode of the Cover 3 podcast. That's how you get those kinds of alerts. I mean, we don't have Cover 3 podcast push notifications for specifically when Service Academy unders have been released, but we are working on it. We'll at least give you push notifications for when a new episode comes out. So subscribe so that you might perchance get an episode that includes that kind of information. I mean, it's just another reason to subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast. Mm -hmm. Um all right. Uh, did either of y'all watch Stone Cold Devin Leary drive the field? Yo, that was a pick right there. That was a strong call by you. I mean, I, I'm not even gloating on. I don't even want to yeah. like gloat on the pick because it felt like the plus 14 was in the bag. I thought that with no timeouts left, after Pitt had run the clock way down, uh, you know, classic after. After having to settle for a field goal three or four times in red zone opportunities, finally on fourth and goal, uh, Kenny Pickett just like inches the ball over the goal line with his arms and they finally get the go-ahead touchdown. For Devin Leary, the sophomore, 
to go 78 yards in a minute and 21 seconds with no timeouts, just picking apart this pit defense that we've all hailed, myself included, as one of the best in the country. I I was I was very a impressed with uh, the way that Leary played because that NC State offense was awful for most of the third quarter. But B, I'm also selling some of my pit stock when it comes to them being an ACC dark horse. I hope Danny was watching because I mean Pitt lost, but he, he, the Kenny Pickett hater, Danny Cannell, Pickett threw for 411 yards. He rushed for 40 yards. He had a huge game. Just yeah, uh, Devin Leary outplayed him at the end. Is I, I'm trying to figure out is NC State the chaos team or is this just a result of playing Pitt? No, this is just Pitt just doing some Pitt ass stuff. Oh, uh, all right. So NC State was down three defensive backs going into the game. They lost one to a targeting call and another to a penalty. And so they were down five defensive backs. And at that point, it was just time to cook with Jordan Addison. And uh, who's the uh, transfer from the Big Ten? Tucker? DJ DJ, DJ, DJ Tucker? Turner. Yeah, DJ, DJ Turner. Turner from yeah. Maryland. DJ Turner from Maryland. And Jordan Addison just cooked. Addison got hurt, though. Addison got hurt and didn't, play, didn't finish. That was, uh, that was the game plan. I mean, they Pitt didn't even try to establish a running game outside of Kenny Pickett running. But like, what what the hell is NC State? I mean, they—that's what I'm trying to say. I I don't know. Like, they go from winning their first game against Wake and a really entertaining, and then they go to getting blown out by a Virginia Tech team, missing everybody, and now they're going on the road to beat Pitt. Well, not only that, but they won that first game by just running it down Wake's throat. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, like this this team has got a legit offensive line. They've got a bunch of running backs that can go. Um, hey, you know, strap it up when you play in NC State. And then they go and Virginia Tech just totally sticks it down their throat and like rips their tongue out. And then this game, they they Devin Leary starts, which is this which is I mean seems to make sense from the jump. I, I think that Bailey Hockman is a little bit limited, but they throw it 44 times. And 336 yards on a good defensive backfield. And uh, there was a pick six in there. Wasn't there a pick six? Is that how they scored early? Um, I can't. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, maybe not. I no. guess not. Um, anyways. <clears throat> Pitt, I, I, had, I, Pitt had about a thousand penalties. And a lot of them were on defense. Like they were <laughs> like they were roughing the passer. They were defensive pass interference. They were uh, drive-extending penalties. It was bananas. It's very classic. This is just like, okay, this is the pit game. Pit, <laughs> pit. And, and, but so, good for NC State, though. I wonder if this is who they are or whether they just caught pit on a pit night. Here's something you don't see very often. Both teams had exactly 30-minute time of possession. I call, I call it the law of the wolf. When you expect the most, you get the least. And when you expect the least, you get the most. Shout out so, to Joe Gillio. So I think we just go zigzag with the Wolfpack then. Next week, we fade them against Virginia, and then we're back on them for Duke, and then we're fading them for North Carolina, and then we're taking them for Miami. I liked what I saw from Virginia against Clemson. They were much more competitive against the Tigers tonight than they were in the ACC championship game last December. And Brendan Armstrong is not as good as Bryce Perkins, but they were uh, they were pretty solid. I I liked it. I barely watched any of that. Yeah, yeah. That was a 
that was one of those games where you you came out of it not feeling all that much better about Clemson because we we talked to like I've said the name Joseph Nagata so many times because he's such a like physical he's so impressive physically and when you see him make some of these like flash grabs you're like wow that's impressive but you look at the targets and Trevor Lawrence is just basically zoned into Ambari Rogers and oh and Braden Ga- uh Brendan Galloway like Braden Galloway is another player that I've mentioned several times he had the year-long suspension uh for PEDs along with Dexter Lawrence and I was like that's somebody that could be you know basket all-state basketball player kind of guy who I thought could be a real difference maker they hadn't really had a good tight end since Dwayne Allen and Jordan Leggett but the targets is just uh Amari Rogers Frank Ladson and then Travis Etienne like that's it. And there's it, we picked apart the Clemson passing game last year, just thinking it was just like Justin Ross and T Higgins, and it didn't really feel like there was another option. Kind of feels like if you break it down based on again, just based on the targets, it is not this like plethora of options like you would expect based on uh, the talent that's at least there on the depth chart. But are they just screwing around? That's like that. That's what I that's, I. that's just kind of the thing I wonder with Clemson, especially at this point of the season. Because we've seen it, you know, like we've talked about how what Dabo's done with that program and what they're so good about doing is making sure that they're ready for the college football playoff and just kind of, you know, sometimes just doing what they got to do to get through what's typically an easy ACC schedule. So, is it that they don't have the options, or are they just kind of like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I think it might be not trusting all the options, you know, keep it tight. Just keep it, keep it to what you know works. Just give it to Etienne and let him go do crazy things. Cause that's like the one, the few times I turned on the game or I saw the game and Etienne's making some huge play. I'm sitting there thinking, man, why the hell is he still at Clemson? (laughs) (laughs) Why isn't he in the NFL? I'm happy he's still at Clemson, but it's like he's way too good for this level. Why did he come back for another year? Because he hasn't had many touches, you know, because he's the king of the 12 carry, 125-yard, two-touchdown stat line. I don't know. I mean, that's... So, the... I didn't watch a lot of this the Clemson game. Um, but the ACC, given the pit results and given the other teams outside of maybe Miami and Notre Dame, like it's a little bit of a mess. Um, and the, I'd say the game that was most concerning to me in terms of how I view the conference and like <clears throat> shakes up my perception of, of the teams and what Tar Heels? they were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, give me, give me your, give me your, uh, uh, what do you call it? The golden triangle. Give me your golden triangle breakdown of the, uh, of the Tar Heels. That was uh, not a great performance from Sam Howell in the second half. That was not a great performance from the offense in general in the second half. And that is concerning because my theory was the idea that this offensive staff and Sam Howell, we were all simpatico, right? We'd all, we were all seeing the field. We were all seeing the ball. Everything was, everything was coming together. We understood what was going on with Boston College. And, and that, uh, 
things things kind of slowed there in the second half. North Carolina is not built right now to be a dominant team defensively, especially against uh, bigger, physical, more experienced t- uh, offenses. And what does Boston College have? A ton of uh, veteran returning starters on the offensive line, uh, a ton of play like big, physical, mature players. They've got, you know, Barton, you know, they've, they've got some like freshmen that might be pretty good in 2021, 2022 on the t- defensive line. Obviously players that are going to be coming in there, but like I, uh, I looked at that game as a, uh, as definitely indicative of starting hot because you were excited to get back into action and then just not really having the staying power. You know, you needed that get Roman.com. No, no ad or whatever. <laughs> Like they just, they, they could not maintain that same kind of juice and that same kind of energy in, uh, in chestnut Hill. Can I make a confession? Yeah. You remember on Thursday when we were recording the locks pod and I was talking about how I had like a really full card. I'd left one game off that was on the card. Was it Boston college? Yeah. Because the three of you all went into lock unity and I did not want to be sitting there starting a lock fight. With three of you and kind of killing the vibe of hearing Queen Latifah. So, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I should have warned you. Well, uh, that was my only loss on my locks. I could have said you could have been undefeated had I just tried to save you. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I'm, I think I would have. I think I would have engaged in a fight there. Like I I thought. I, I think that. I think North Carolina is. I don't know. I don't know. I thought they were better than that. Or no, that's that's that sounds work. That sounds bad. I didn't think BC was good enough to 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 hang with them, and I thought BC was a little bit inflated. And I'm not sure what I'm not even sure what to make of this game. Like, do I think is is BC suddenly like legit because they hung with UNC? Is UNC not what I thought they were? Like this was this is probably the game like that I am having the hardest time figuring out what what to take away from it because that's. I mean, Phil Jakovic is over 313 yards. But at um, 5.6 yards per attempt. Like, yeah, because exactly. it, like they couldn't <laughs> run the ball against uh, a defensive front that's not yeah, exactly known to be. yards per rush. Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly like a stout defense, but they were just sort of sitting back and he was just dinking and dunking. And, and to me, it really comes back to that North Carolina offense and the fact that in the second half, Boston College made some adjustments, and North Carolina was not able to come up with big plays. And when you've got, uh, like, when you've got the Brown brother, like, you got Deami Brown, you've got Bo Corrales, uh, you got Daz Newsom, you got Michael Carter, you got Javante Williams, like Sam Howell, who we you know prop up as a potential NFL quarterback sitting here in this big step forward sophomore year. There's a there are so many weapons out there. And I, I'm not coming away from it looking at Boston College as a lockdown defense as much as I am thinking that North Carolina's offense started hot. I mean, scored touchdowns on their first two possessions. Like they just they got the ball, scored, got the ball, scored. Things were cooking. Things were looking good. Second half, after halftime, whatever adjustments were made on the defensive side, I mean, I guess coaching advantage, Jeff Halfley, right? I think yes. he's, he's, he's shown, shown well. 
through three games. That was that's my impression of Boston College through three games. It's that I don't think they've got a shutdown defense, but what I've taken away just based on what I saw last year in his one year running the Ohio State defense, and I've seen from th- through three games at Boston College, I think Jeff Halfley is just really good at coming up with a defensive game plan to at least hinder the offense that he's going against if you know i don't think he's got the kind of talent at boston college to stop it like he did last year at ohio state when he was playing somebody but just seeing what i've seen from them in three games i think that he's he's a very smart coach as far as putting together a defensive game plan and i think that you know like you said chip north carolina started off hot and i think halfley saw the kind of things that they were going and what was working what wasn't made the adjustments and it just kind of put the clamps on that North Carolina offense in the second half. So I think that's Boston college's identity to me. And I think that I don't think they're going to be competing for anything in the ACC, but I do think that based on what I've seen for the three games, they're going to be the kind of team that's kind of a pain in the butt for a lot of offenses to deal with. And a lot of teams are going to have like one of their uglier offensive performances of the year against them. Anything else from the notepad? Where do y'all want to go? Ah, my pirates. It's like a slow start. They finished strong again, just like last week against UCF, but they got blown out of the water in the very first half. And it's the same story against uh, Georgia state today. Just, we gotta, we gotta learn how to play 60 minute game boys. We haven't talked South Carolina, Florida. I mean, you know, I've already made all the Florida fans angry with all my Georgia homerism. So as long as they're in their feels about it, I might as well continue to ignore them. Are you getting hate mail, man? Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. You're like in the like on the in the mail in the uh, reviews. No, not in the reviews, but in the mentions and in the email. Bricks through the front window. You getting you know. emails? Like the People are tracking on your email address? Like, like well, I, I've got it, but you know the you're. Your your hate for Florida knows no bounds, you know. <laughs> like, it's it's uh it, for what is it? What what's that little cheesy song they do like Mr. Two Bits or whatever? Yeah, is is it for a fan base that does Mr. Two Bits? You would think they would understand one bit, and that I'm maybe <laughs> leaning in to this Georgia Bulldogs homerism with some of this Florida hate. But, uh, but no, no, they don't, they don't seem to get it, but you know, whatever. I'll I'll say this for Florida. I mean, it, it really wasn't all that different from last week, except the defense looked a lot better. They held South Carolina to four yards per play. It's just, I don't know if that's a result of the defense tightening things up or if it's just South Carolina's offense is very good. But I mean, Kyle Trask is still the best quarterback in the sec. Pitts is still an absolute nightmare matchup and, Florida's going to be good. And I think that in the East it's Florida and Georgia and in the West it's Alabama. And I don't, I think those are the three teams. One of those three teams is going to win the SEC. There were some times in that game when I was like, yeah, Florida's good, but I mean, look at their defense. Um, and I guess those, those, those thoughts passed through my head in the first half. Cause I guess it seems like the second half they sort of, no, it was, I'm just looking now, I guess it was about even, but at the end of the game, you look up and uh, yeah, like you said, Tom, 329 yards of offense for, for South Carolina. Colin Hill throws it behind Shy Smith right there at the end of the game when they're like, uh, maybe what was it going to cut it to 10 points or something like that? 
Mm-hmm. He, yeah. had, he had the fourth and goal play where he was rolling out and he had Shai Smith open in the mm-hmm. end zone and missed him. South Carolina missed out on some plays that could have made this even tighter. I mean, yeah. what the Florida's going to play Texas A&M and they're probably going to beat Texas A&M and we're going to make a big deal about that. And cool. What if they don't though? <laughs> no, like, I'm just, I'm just waiting for our dogs to lay the law down. <laughs> I mean, like, are, are we convinced? I mean, I think I am, but are we convinced that Florida is going to beat Texas A&M? Cause I feel like of the way things are going in this 2020 season, just, they get turned on their head every single weekend. So now there's a party that's like, watch, the Aggies are going to end up beating the Gators now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, anything anything could happen. I cannot sure. say that I've seen anything from Texas A&M or Texas A&M gives me those vibes. I'll take LSU before I take Texas A&M. I yeah. don't think anybody's beating Florida but Georgia. I'll tell you the other game that was really fun, unless you guys have more you wanted to, ch- to chat about. No, let's game. go but- for it. Texas Tech, Kansas State. Did you guys get eyes on that? Mm, any? Nah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was sweating the under for that one, yeah. Two, two backup quarterbacks going head-to-head with, with the starters getting bumped out to injury. Did, did you think the shot on Bowman was cheap? I actually didn't see it. Okay. Was it getting I, called out for being cheap? Some have. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think. Like, in slow motion, it definitely looks cheap. And they showed a lot of slow motion replays, but like at full speed, I'm not sure that I could like really say that. Oh yeah. He knew what he was doing there, but it was a low blow on Bowman. It's just, I think it was bad timing more than anything. Um, yeah, well it's, uh, that, that I'll, I'll turn on a Texas tech or Kansas state game. I don't care what, I don't care who they're <laughs> playing. I'll turn, I'll turn those teams on. I, I like, I like watching them. So are Too you fun. still Balling out. Deuce is loose. Are you more? It it sounds like what we've done so far in this season is we have eliminated more Big 12 and SEC teams from college football playoff contention while also keeping them on our must-watch list. Absolutely. (laughs) we We have picked apart so many teams with all of their flaws that we don't believe in to be able to make it to the top of the mountain. And at the same time, it's like, but I, I want to be there with you when you fall, baby. I want to so, be there. So is that like going to be the big 12's argument for a playoff spot at the end of the year? Hey, come on. We play entertaining games. <laughs> uh, yeah. The I've watched probably the, the best teams in the country are probably among the like power five teams. I've watched the least because Alabama and Clemson keep blowing people out. Yeah, I've had to live blog the last two Alabama games, and let me tell you, they're they good. They <laughs> yeah, good. They're, they're really good. And, I mean, I appreciate them because I'm able to write, like, my gamers halfway through the third quarter, but it's just like I'm sitting there like this a lot of the time. Yeah, hey, <laughs> hey, Chip, do you want to add any more takeaways to Clemson UVA? Nope. nope. Cool. <laughs> That's good. Damn, how did – how did you get a 1,200-word gamer in five minutes after kick? I don't know. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Just the way it goes. Yeah. All right. We will be back on Monday with a fresh episode. Danny Cannell joins the, uh, joins the crew as we continue to tie up all the loose ends from the weekend and start to turn the page, look ahead into week six. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fidel. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.